You're listening to Driving Law, a podcast by Kyla Lee about all things related to the rules of the road. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Driving Law. I am Kyla Lee at Acumen Law, and with me, my co-host, Paul Doroshenko. Hi, Kyla. Once again, it's Friday. Here we are recording the podcast in your office rather than in the podcast studio. Yeah, and there's like so much driving law this week. So much driving law this week. I don't know which ones you chose for topics, but there's so much driving law this week. Yeah, so I thought we would start maybe with a brief BC Supreme Court case. Um, This is actually a case we argued. We lost, but we got an important clarification of a pretty critical issue for a people with IRPs. Okay, explain this to me because so explain it to it. me like I'm like in, you've never heard of like it. Like I've never heard of it before. All right, I will. So this is a case of the case is called You Why You. Um and it involves a woman who was um pulled over, investigated for impaired driving, given a roadside breathalyzer, she failed, and then the officer offered her a second test which she accepted. She made some efforts to blow into the second device but was unsuccessful in producing a reading. And the issue in the judicial review, the important issue, there were a couple issues argued, but the important issue on the judicial review was the adjudicator's assessment of what you're entitled to when you get a second test. Because the legislation refers to a second analysis, which would suggest that you get two results. But the superintendent took the position that she wasn't entitled to two results. She was entitled to the opportunity for two results. And so all there had to be was an opportunity to blow into the device. So sort of two extremes. One, there has to be a successful sample. Two, there just has to be one chance to blow. And the court had to reconcile what you actually get when you get a second test. Now, the adjudicator in that case had found that she had been given numerous opportunities to blow and that she was deliberately not providing a sample. But for the purposes of the judicial review, it was argued, well, she argued that that finding was unreasonable, but also Mm -hmm. it was argued that it didn't matter anyway because she was still entitled to an analysis. Yes. And the court rejected that, um, saying that you're not entitled to a second analysis, but you are entitled to more than just a second shot at producing an analysis. So it does have to be a meaningful opportunity to produce a second sample. So it can't be fleeting. It can't be um, a a really minor opportunity to provide a second sample. It can't be something where the the officer essentially prevents you from being able to blow. So cases, for example, where there's a malfunction with the second device, cases, for example, where the second device is... um, um, maybe expired or where there's something that affects the reliability of the second test would not be a meaningful opportunity to take a second sample. Similarly, if the officer gave you like nine tries to get a first sample and only gave you two on the second one. Which is something we see with some regularity. Very often. The officer will say, well, if you can't do it, that's on you. Um, or cases where there's no opinion formed by the officer that the person was actually obfuscating with their second opportunity, just that they weren't able to produce a sample. All of those would be not a meaningful opportunity, potentially under this decision, to provide a second sample. You look confused. 
No, I wasn't confused. Just the fan turned on in here. Oh. I, I was trying to figure out what the noise was, whether or not it was rain or the fan. Anyway, it's very important. It makes sense to me. It's very yeah. important because in many cases, the second sample not being provided has been upheld even where the opportunity was really, like, sort of facially provided but not meaningfully We've provided. We've seen that all the time because yeah. the police will test the person, test the person, test the person, and invest quite a bit of time into the first test. All the time they're sort of setting it up, it seems the police are setting it up for a refusal, and then the person manages to get a sample, the device accepts it. Mm -hmm. Second time comes around and the officer is impatient and doesn't want to go through that again. And then when the person struggles the first two times, the officer will say, that's it. That's um, it. And, uh, and basically take away their right to a second test. Yes. So, I mean, I think the case is an important clarification of issues that we need uh, we needed clarification about. What I am disappointed in, obviously, is that there's no second analysis entitlement, but, uh, you know, asking for the moon and getting the stars is good enough on judicial review for me. Well, here's the thing about all of these judicial reviews is so often um, they're upheld in circumstances where I think if you were to honestly ask the court whether or not they would have come to that conclusion, you would get an answer completely different. And yep. uh, it's the manner in which adjudication takes place. And it's not just in this administrative tribunal. I've talked to lawyers who do other administrative work. Yep. And they come to the same conclusion that it's results-oriented decisions. Um, but um, the uh, you know it is at least even if we're not successful, we get some clarification going forward that we can use in our hearings. Yes. Now, second big issue that I wanted to talk about, and hopefully we're going to maybe be able to have him on the podcast, is this controversial video out of Ontario. Mika Colbert. Mika Colbert, yes. You can search it on Google. You'll find it. He made a TikTok video when he's at home minding his own business. And a police officer shows up at his doorstep, knocks on his door, and says, Hey, uh, we got a report from the OPP that a civilian had called you in for some bad driving. So Swerving in traffic or yeah. something. So I'm just going to administer a breathalyzer to you. And he proceeds to read Mr. Colbert a demand for a breath sample. And the debate that's been going on has been... How is this lawful? And so, of course, the way it's been characterized by one side, not our side, <laughs> is that you it's any time after driving, and yeah. this has all been settled, and the law changed in Ontario two years ago. Not no. correct. Um, and uh, and all of this. And, and they can test you any time. And, it's of course, this is, after driving. this is the confusion. Yeah. So this is the confusion that happened as a result of these legislative changes in 2018. Yeah, so there's a couple different things going on here. One is that you need to have a pretty sophisticated understanding of impaired driving law to identify why what the officer did was in fact unlawful. And part of it comes down to the type of demand that the officer read to Mr. Colbert. In order for an officer to do a roadside breathalyzer test, or I guess a doorstep breathalyzer test, they can read one of two types of demands. There's the mandatory demand, where they don't have to have any grounds. And Mr. Colbert hadn't had any alcohol, and he ended up blowing zero. 
Um, so there's the mandatory demand where they don't have to have any suspicion that you have alcohol in your body. There's the suspicion demand, which where an officer has to suspect that you have alcohol in your body. But there's more distinction between the two of them. For the suspicion demand, all the officer has to suspect is that you had operated a motor vehicle within the preceding three hours with alcohol in your body. Whereas for the mandatory demand, the officer must give the demand to you while you are operating a vehicle or like basically right after. Like they pull you over, they get you out of the car, they read the demand to you. It's a pullover and circumstance. Yes. A roadblock or a police officer pulling you over yes. and doing it immediately. And it's meant like the language in the criminal code is very deliberate language. There's um, by demand made to a person who is driving is in relation to the mandatory demand. Whereas with the suspicion demand, it's got that preceding three hours suspicion of driving language. And if you go back in the history of roadside breathalyzer testing in Canada, we used to use the language is driving in relation to Paul knows this because he used to argue this. He was a lawyer back in the time. I succeeded on this one Um, at least twice. The is driving language denoted a demand made to a person essentially contemporaneously with their having operated a motorcycle. Yeah, you were successful in arguing this. So you have to actually have reasonable contemporaneousness with driving. Whereas for the suspicion demand, you do not. And listening to the demand that was read to Mr. Colbert in the video, it is not a suspicion demand. Suspicion demand starts with, I have reasonable grounds to suspect that you have within the preceding three hours operator had care and control of a motor vehicle with alcohol in your body. And then they go into the language of the demand. And and that is to comply with section 10A of the charter as best as you can. To tell the person why they're detained. Either they're detained because of a suspicion of criminal activity or alternatively they're Detained. detained because they've been lawfully pulled over. Hopefully, yes. uh, well, the officer and, 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 has to be acting in a not, lawful execution of their duty. Not just because they're a young black male. So, the demand is not lawful for that reason. Now, where do we get into this two hours after driving issue? Is because there's a difference in and that people are, I think, failing to appreciate between the criminal prohibition on being at or over 80 milligrams of alcohol within two hours after ceasing to operate a motor vehicle and the evidence collection methods to prove that offense. So when we talk about an officer asking somebody for a breathalyzer sample on their doorstep, that is evidence collection to prove the offense. The offense is at or over 80 two hours after. But the evidence collection doesn't necessarily, depending on the type of evidence collection being used, doesn't necessarily correspond with what the offense is. This is why police officers are given quite a broad toolkit to investigate potential impaired drivers. But it's not that broad when it comes to the mandatory demand. Yes, because the only way they can get get it through Parliament was to make it very specific circumstances. So the interesting thing is no matter what, this was an unlawful demand because even a suspicion demand in these circumstances was not there. There was no reasonable suspicion that he had alcohol in his body. First of all, no odor of liquor on his breath, no admission of consumption. Those are the two main things. Now you can have somebody witnessed a person drinking, but it's got to be a reasonable suspicion based on a reason. Um, And of course he blew zero which meant there's no odor of liquor on his breath. 
um, and uh, and he hadn't been, you know, there was no admission of consumption. So no matter what, it was illegal. But people flipped out in the TikTok comments when you stitched it. Yeah, they flipped out. They tried to tell me I didn't know the law. Mm. They tried to tell me the law changed. Um, and I did a couple replies because I was getting a little bit frustrated at all the people mansplaining my job to me. <sighs> and I'm sitting there thinking to myself, gee, didn't Kyla present at Parliament and the, and Senate, the Senate for this? Yeah. I, I presented with one of, with, yeah. at one of them. I can't remember the Parliament or the Senate on the same piece of legislation. And our concern yeah. was with the mandatory demands, one of the concerns was that this would be used to target young black males. Yep. And here we've got a young black male uh, being forced to provide a sample in his house. Now, the interesting thing is your video shows a little clip of it. If you go and watch his full video, you can see the stress he suffered after the fact and the embarrassment he suffered after the fact. And a lot of people focus on, oh, the police officer was so nice. So they fist reasonable. each other. Yeah, exactly. Meanwhile, the guy after, you know, Mika afterward is expressing his, his, the stress that he went through, I mean, it, yeah. it's terrible. And, you know, I often think the courts and the uh, legislators don't even consider that. They never, they think, oh, this is just a minor intrusion into a person's life, providing a sample into an ASD. No, it's not. Mm -hmm. It's not. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you're projecting how you think you would feel about it uh, is not the same as what someone actually experiences, particularly when you're a young um, person who is uh, from a you know identical ident well I guess we talked about uh, black and brown young males being the ones targeted with this. Yep. So anyway, interesting to see that playing out. Frustrating to see the two CTV news articles that I've read about it. Both wrong. Both where they say there's this TikTok video sparking debate, but then they only go to a police officer. To get a police officer to explain the lawfulness of what their colleague did. Like they're going to throw their colleague under the bus, first of all. And secondly, where's the debate then? Well, how many police officers go and argue uh, these in court? None. Yeah, exactly. Um, talk to some lawyers about it. Yeah. Don't bother talking to some police officer who's invested in making the police look good. Yeah. So that was that. I mean, it, it's actually trite. <laughs> it's resolved in law. You're not speaking about something that's broad and unique. Now, last week, uh, or sorry, this, <laughs> sorry, that was my, supposed to be my transition for later. <laughs> nice transition. Yeah, nice transition. I screwed it all up. No, this actually, this case also raises an interesting question about police powers on private property. And we got some very interesting clarification from the Supreme Court of Canada about police powers on private property when it comes to random sobriety checks. And so this is completely separate from this other case, but it also yeah. happens to be in Ontario, and it also happens to be, you know, at the seconds after driving. Yes. So what happened um, in the Ontario case? We've talked about the case before on the podcast, actually. It's the case of McCollman. Mr. McCollman was uh, pulled over by police... Um, after leaving, I think it was like a Max convenience store, and they see him driving down the road, the police officer decides, I'm going to stop this dude for a sobriety check. And as he's stopping the dude for the sobriety check, he doesn't activate his lights, doesn't activate his siren. Mr. McCullman turns off the road and onto a family member's property, and the police officer follows him onto the private property, the driveway, 
and parks the car, uh, activates his lights, and stops him at that point. And he sees significant symptoms of impairment, an impaired driving investigation ensues. But up until that point, he hadn't seen anything that caused him to be suspicious or that caused him to suspect uh, alcohol or a criminal offense being committed. (coughs) He was relying solely on the random stop powers that are in the Ontario Highway Traffic Act that allow police to stop anybody um, who is driving. Check their license registration. Yeah, to check license registration and to investigate their sobriety. Now, we have virtually the same provisions in every Highway Traffic Act, Motor Vehicle Act, Traffic Safety Act across Canada. Every province has enacted a general power to stop and identify a person driving a vehicle. But that power is not absolute. Because in Ontario, the Supreme Court of Canada upheld a portion of the Court of Appeals ruling, finding that the definition of driver in the Highway Traffic Act included reference to a location. So there's two definitions of driver. One is a person who is operating a motor vehicle on a highway. And the second is a person who has care and control of a motor vehicle, but it doesn't refer to any location. And the court found that because there is the specific locus requirement and the care and control reference was an expansion of the earlier definition of driveway or of driver, there has to be driving on an actual roadway for it to be driving that constitutes a driving that attracts the provisions of the um, act that allows an officer to pull somebody over. So without other evidence beforehand and without uh, indicating to the person while they were still on a road or highway, it became an unlawful detention. And again, as we expect to see, basically, when anything clarifies the law, potentially in favor of a little bit of freedom for drivers, the uh, I Know Better Than You Brigade came out and said things like, well, wait a minute, this means that anybody can just drive off the roadway onto private property and escape being investigated for impaired driving. Home free, home Home free. free. Yeah, Yeah, the home free defense. Doesn't work that way. It's not. This only applies in the context of an officer exercising statutory authority to stop someone at random, to check their sobriety, under provincial legislation that specifically refers to it being authority on a highway. This wasn't a pursuit. No. It wasn't an attempt to stop somebody they didn't while they were on a road or highway. See bad driving that they then were forming a suspicion and carrying out a criminal code power to detain a person to investigate a criminal offense. You know, this wasn't an investigative detention, which they would have the power to do under the criminal code. This wasn't a response to a civilian complaint of bad driving, again, allowing the officer the common law investigative power uh, to detain the person to follow up on that civilian complaint. This was a completely random stop of somebody who otherwise was driving perfectly normally. The other uh, angle that people had was, who didn't read the decision, (laughs) this is not a win. He was still convicted. This is not a win. Yes, he was still convicted. The Supreme Court of Canada... Um, looked at the 24-2 analysis. So anytime evidence is unlawfully obtained, the question becomes, was the evidence obtained in a way that would bring the administration of justice into disrepute by um, admitting the evidence in court? And the court said it's a serious breach 
It obviously had a significant impact on Mr. McCollman, but the law was in a state of uncertainty at the time. So people didn't know whether or not um, they could stop people in these circumstances. It wasn't clear. Now it is clear. So it's not really contrary to the public interest in those circumstances. Plus, as we always hear the Crown argue in these types of cases, impaired driving is bad. The Crown's case is gutted if they don't have the evidence that comes from the traffic stop. There's a public interest in prosecuting impaired driving crimes. The problem is that people have been running with that. A lot of criminal defense lawyers, and I'm disappointed you in you, criminal bar, and saying, well, doesn't this just mean that anytime there's a serious offense, it's always going to weigh in favor of, of inclusion of evidence? And, and doesn't this mean that that basically eliminates the need for a 24-2 analysis? I don't think so. No, I know your angle. Your angle is now the law is clear and so there's no excuse. Yep. Uh, my concern is that this individual um, has to go down uh, despite the charter violations just because, you know, the court saying, well, the law wasn't clear. Well, I'm sorry. Actually, the law was clear because it was just in legislation. And it was just because the police were misinterpreting the legislation doesn't give them the out. And what I see, you know, as you know, I'm never been happy with the change to the 24-2 analysis. No. Uh, you know, the, the old 24-2 analysis was rejected about a 12 years ago, um, 13 years ago by the Supreme Court. They overruled themselves and created this new 24-2 analysis. And the new 24-2 analysis, as far as I can tell, is the do what we feel like and we're still going to not uh, give the benefit of the charter to people who are charged with impaired driving. One of the offenses that more people in Canada are charged with than anything else. And also more people are acquitted than any other offense. Why? Because it's the police conducting the investigation, professional witnesses. They've got a motive. They're out there to do it. And they charge people in many circumstances where they shouldn't. And they violate charter rights doing it. Yep. And so this, to me, sends a message to the police. All you have to do is say you were confused and the evidence will get in. Yes. So that's uh, that. But what you should know if you are driving in British Columbia, and obviously this is a borderless podcast, but for BC drivers, this would have applicability in BC. But again, only if you're already on the private property when the police officer signals you to pull over. And then also only if once the police officer signals you to pull over and you're already on the private property, uh, they're conducting a random traffic stop to check sobriety and not doing something else. So please, for everyone listening, regardless of what province you're in, if a police officer pulls you over on private property, don't start disputing the lawfulness of their authority to do so. Don't argue that you don't have to comply with their demands because what they did was not lawful because you don't know and you can't know what was in the officer's mind at the time. You know, one day we should do a podcast on what to do when you're pulled over. Because yeah. you've laid it out in some of your TikToks. They're very popular TikToks. Um, and it is really confusing because you have certain obligations, right? Like identifying yourself. Yep. Uh, but after that, really, you just want to keep your mouth shut. But you don't want to end up in a circumstance where you're charged with some offense um, because you kept your mouth shut. You know, the uh, again, the courts just assume that every police officer is good-hearted in the right mindset, conducting an investigation uh, in a manner that is charter compliant. And if they... 
fail to comply with the charter in some way. Oh, it was just not so important. Well, the reality is, you know, it's hard to navigate. It's hard to navigate those investigations. Okay, now I can do my transition, Paul, that I was intending to do. Okay. Last week on the podcast, we talked about this poor um, uh, condo owner that had the wall of their condo run into by the oh, car. Oh, yes, yes. And this week, for Eric McGracken's McGracken moment, we get a little bit of a better understanding of why ICBC's trying to fuck these poor people so hard. Ladies and gentlemen... Let loose the law and justice Kraken Eric McGraken. Welcome to the McGracken moment. This week I'm going to talk about ICBC property damage claims. Now, I'm not talking about vehicles smashed up in a crash. I'm talking about a negligent driver leaving the road, smashing into somebody's residence, ruining it, going through the wall, and that building needs to be repaired. Well, this happened recently under the no-fault era, and a condominium was smashed into. There's some photos online. Global News covered this, and you'll see there's quite a bit of property damage. ICBC apparently told the condominium owners that, yeah, we'll fix it, but we're going to build you a new wall. And the wall that was damaged is old and depreciated, so we're going to knock off some money for that depreciation because we only have to repair what was ruined, not improve your position in life with a brand new fancy wall. Well, here's the problem with that logic. We're dealing with a tort claim here. While you can't sue for injuries and while there's all sorts of limits on suing for vehicle damage, if a careless driver smashes into your home, that homeowner still can sue. So tort principles don't line up with ICBC's logic here. Tort principles are really simple. The victim of the tort is entitled to the reasonable damages caused by the wrongdoing. So what is it going to reasonably take to fix this old wall that now needs to be replaced with a new wall? There's no magic way to do it with an other old wall. you got to pay current contractors current prices to use current materials. And once it's repaired to a similar condition, ICBC is going to pay that bill. They don't get to knock off thousands of dollars because your wall is now new. That's the only reasonable way to repair it. So here's another example of, this isn't even no fault. This is the type of stuff that drove people to hire lawyers under the tort system for injury claims. But here's ICBC up to their own old tricks for a case where somebody still has the right to sue. It's a disappointing system. Totally unfair, in my opinion. I'm glad Eric digs deep into these things. Yes. I honestly like it. It breaks my heart. Yeah, it breaks my heart, too. Uh, But you know what doesn't break my heart, Paul? What's that? The Ridiculous Driver of the Week. The week, the week, the week, the week. The reviews are in. This book has been a lifesaver. If you haven't bought a copy yet, I can't recommend it enough. 
Thanks to the pinpoint method, I feel like I now have concrete strategies I can employ for difficult situations. Published by LexisNexis, cross-examination the pinpoint method is an essential addition to your bookshelf. Order now. Nice transition. Thanks, I, I didn't screw it up this time. Um, so this is for our friend Deandra out of Dallas, Texas. A Dallas County deputy is in a little bit of hot water because he wanted to be TikTok famous and decided to live stream on TikTok his traffic stop in 2021, Deputy Castillo. So a little lesson to police officers, what you post on social media sometimes can be a problem because you might be violating yes. some privacy legislation yes. or something like that, as this officer did. Yes. So... The Dallas County Sheriff's Office, they're not responding to questions. This uh, sheriff's deputy who pulled over this uh, poor person um, is being sued um, two years ago. For live. For live streaming. Live streaming to TikTok. And revealing his personal information to more than 100 people who were watching the live stream. An impaired driving investigation. Yep. was pulled over. There were violations of his privacy rights. Um, and, uh, there was even a screenshot of his client's driver's license. Somebody online saw it who knew him and reached out to him, uh, to alert him about the fact that he was being live streamed. And, uh, yeah, the sheriff's office is not explaining what happened. Mm. The cop got two day suspension without pay, which hardly seems fair when he's live streamed to the world, ruining some guy's life. I, I don't know what happened with the with the charge. Does it say there whether or not he was acquitted or pled down or something? I don't know what happened with the charge. It was probably what? probably dismissed. Um, especially if the officer got suspended for his conduct in the course of it. Um. So yeah, that's a, a big problem. It's a ridiculous police officer of the ridiculous week. Ridiculous police officer. Look, it's fine to put stuff on social media. It's not fine to put stuff on social media when what you're putting on social media contains people's personal information or information by which people can be identified. We have uh, pretty strict legislation in BC, the Freedom of Information Protection of Privacy Act. And uh, if the police violate that act, which they seem to rarely remember uh, <laughs> that uh, they're bound by, then they can end up in some real trouble. Yeah. Well, that's our podcast, Paul. Yeah, good podcast. You can hear the sirens coming for us now. Yeah, we're under arrest for being too critical of the police this week. Um, if you want to talk to us about something driving law related that you are critical of the police about, give us a call at 604-685-8889 or find us online at VancouverCriminalLaw.com and tune in next week for another exciting episode of Driving Law. 